Well, good morning. This morning will be a bit different than a normal sermon. I will be using the texts that are assigned for today, deal with those texts briefly, and use it as a launching pad to discuss vision for this coming year uh, this morning because it is our annual meeting day. I ask for your grace and understanding if it is a little longer than normal. Now, can I let you know, I will not be giving a report during the actual annual meeting because I will be using that right now, uh, this opportunity to do so, even though that you'll find a lot of these same things in the printed um, report that you'll be uh, receiving later. Today is the transfiguration of our Lord, and this feast is a bridge between the end of Epiphany and Lent that begins in a few days on Ash Wednesday. Epiphany is the season that we talk about the glory of God coming to earth and spreading throughout the world. This is the shout of Epiphany that is to grasp our hearts and give us hope because we have gazed into the face of God's glory. During Epiphany, we have seen how the glory of God was manifest and revealed in numerous ways. Today is the last Sunday of Epiphany, and we will see how the glory of God was manifest in the Transfiguration. On the Mount of Transfiguration, Jesus is revealed as God's beloved Son. And this vision of glory reminds us of the words spoken by God to Jesus at his baptism and sustains us as we walk with him to his death and resurrection and follow him every day of our lives. In following Jesus, we must be clear about our identity as dearly beloved children, and we often talk about that, particularly on the days of baptism, as well as at other times. We need to be intentional in our spiritual formation, and we need to be resolute in our mission. So Jesus' incarnation, his life and teachings, miracles, death, resurrection, ascension, and promise to come again to make all things new is the climax of the story of salvation history, is our story, the story that we hear through the word and we rehear and we retell through our liturgy and prayers and sacraments and songs and lifestyle and words as we worship Uh, God together, um, and also every day of our lives. This is the way that we live out the gospel. We're called to be faithful to the unique revelation of Jesus Christ, to embody that Christ-centered truth in all our congregational practices, and, as the text says, listen to Him. Just as the disciples were told to listen to Him, so are we. We listen to and shape our lives around Him, our historic traditions and spiritual practices infused by the power of the Holy Spirit impacts our worship and community, discipleship, and mission. In a nutshell, listening to, obeying, and apprenticing ourselves to Jesus forms and shapes us to be like Him. And that's what we, why we use the term discipleship and spiritual formation and even catechesis. And he does that for a reason. He shapes us into his image for a purpose. And that is so that we can be a blessing to the world, which is, comes in of evangelism and mission. So professing faith in Jesus Christ is one thing, but living our Christian faith requires greater depth and breadth and maturity in our spiritual formation. And this takes intention. Scott McKnight, an Anglican clergy professor, author, and scholar, says... 
that more often than not, we eat like lions. Lions prowl around looking for food and they attack and devour. And this feeding will last them for 10 to 14 days before they need to eat again. And as Christians, we often eat a big spiritual meal and we expect that to last us for a number of days, weeks, and sometimes months before we eat again. He also suggests that we need to learn from hummingbirds. A hummingbird consumes approximately one half of its weight in sugar daily, and the average hummingbird feeds five to eight times per hour. May we learn from hummingbirds and be mindful in attention to King Jesus, our Lord, Savior, and Master all throughout the day. So how can we eat like hummingbirds throughout the day? Well, we pray before meetings. We thank Him for the beautiful mountains or oceans. We lift up in prayer our spouse, children, and other family members. We praise Him for His faithfulness and mercy. We confess and repent for our bad attitude. We intercede for our coworker who has the flu, our neighbor who is addicted to pain medication, the lady at the bank who is separated from her husband. Pray for the ambulance and fire workers, police and doctors as the sirens pass through our streets. And I can keep going on and on. So that's how we eat like hummingbirds because we're staying commune with the Father, praying throughout the day as we go along our normal average, ordinary days. We meet with the Lord and we feed on His Word during the morning and evening office and noontime prayer and compline. We pray the Jesus prayer, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner, while we're stuck in traffic. Now that's a really good time to do that. (laughs) And we pray the great commandment while we're taking a shower. And like me, we pray this famous prayer and that is, God help! And I often pray that several times throughout the day. So these are a few ways that we engage and embrace and commune with our Father who greatly loves us. May we eat like hummingbirds. There are probably many things that hinder our daily feeding. However, I'd like to talk about one particular one, and that is anxiety. And the pace of life is certainly at the top. As Dallas Willard told Pastor John Ortberg, John, you must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. Now, we've talked about this numerous of times. But all of God's abundance is there. When we ruthlessly eliminate hurry, we find the full abundance of God. The grace, the power, the presence of God has already been given. We simply need to become aware of it. We become aware and transformed by slowing down. We must slow down into the life of God. Now, we can get a dopamine rush when we complete things. Accomplishing a lot through hurrying can be rewarding and good. However, we can also lose ourselves in the process of getting things done. Does anyone here know what I'm talking about? A couple of you. As Pastor Brandon Cook writes in his book, To Live and Love Like Jesus, he says this, quote, Hurriedness and a lack of margin can cripple the journey of transformation before it even begins. And he continues and he says, The essence of unhurriedness is living at a speed at which you can be fully present. Without undue regret over the past and without anxiety about the future. With enough margin to be fully aware and present with who Jesus is and and with what he is doing around you. 
There is no transformation without encounter, and there is little space for encounter without intentionality. End of quote. Lisa Turkhurst, in her book, The Best Yes, Making Wise Decisions in the Midst of Endless Demands, writes, the decisions that you make determine the schedule that you keep. The schedule that you keep determines the life that you live, and how you live your life determines how you will spend your soul. We can't have a satisfied soul apart from unhurriedness. God invites us into a life of peace and rest. Living into unhurriedness will will take practical action. You know, as we often talk about, that Jesus often withdrew to quiet, solitary places to commune with his Father. The question this morning is, is what do we do? What will we do? Now, this isn't to bring any kind of shame or even guilt. It is, however, a call to work on our crazy, out-of-control, unrealistic, stressed-out, anxiety-induced schedules that we often use to defend why we can't spend time with Jesus. I implore all of us to embrace our limits. Beneath all of our calendar changes, we are ultimately seeking a heart change. And to change our heart posture start celebrating and giving thanks for our limits. Now, I know that's hard for some of us. But give thanks that we can't get everything done. Now, that's really hard for me. So this is a sermon I'm trying to preach to myself, and it might apply to some of you as well. Give thanks that we can't be everywhere at once, and then start saying no. No, I'm sorry, I can't do that. I'd love to, but I can't. For many of us, the fear of disappointing other people keeps us hurried and stressed. This fear of what others think must be rooted out of us. The power of fear will be replaced by the reality of how great and how enough God's love is for us. In our Old Testament reading, the Lord invited Moses to come up to me on the mountain and stay here. In other words, come be with me. We're reminded of the faithfulness of God in our psalm and His mighty acts. And then it says, Exalt the Lord our God and worship at the holy mountain. For the Lord our God is holy. We're told in our second reading from Philippians to count all things as loss, rubbish, and dung. And I hope you know what dung means. And if you don't, I was going to define it. But in case you don't, just ask your neighbor. They'll tell you. But to count all things as loss, rubbish, and dung for the sake of gaining being found in and knowing Jesus Christ intimately, participating in his sufferings and his resurrection. We forget what lies behind and we press onward. Our reading from the gospel reminds us a voice from the cloud said, this is my son whom I love, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. Jesus, God's beloved son in whom he is pleased and delighted, is whom we are to listen, learn, and obey. It is He whom we are to apprentice ourselves and shape our life around and and imitate and follow and whom will transform us into His images for His purposes. Now on this feast day, I can't help but to think of 2 Corinthians 3, verse 18, where Paul says this, And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into His image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Now, the word 
Contemplate means the intentional act of seeing, beholding, reflecting, and staring at an image until the image begins to remake us. That's the idea of what's going on here. We're to behold the glory of Almighty God so that He can transform us into His image. As many of you know, my first Sunday as your rector was on Advent 1, 2012, and my first annual meeting was the end of January in 2013. And I used that time to cast vision for the upcoming year instead of focusing on the previous one, and that has been my practice ever since. There is so much to celebrate in 2019, and I would encourage you to read all of the reports submitted and printed for you. They will be available in the parish hall during our meeting, and there is so much to celebrate in the ways of baptisms and financial provisions, Father Mike and family's arrival, movement toward renovation, missionary support and activity in and through our church, and I can keep going on and on and on. Read and celebrate. Nonetheless, I'd like to take the last moments together and remind us of our priorities as a church community. Number one is worship. Everyone worships because we are creatures of desire and we give ourselves and resources to that which we love. The reality of worship, both sacred and secular, is that worship forms us into the object of our desire. So this is why at All Saints we believe that in order to be a people growing into Christ's likeness, we must intentionally engage in the practices of corporate and personal worship. Corporate worship is what we do on Sundays and weekday services. It is our hope to engage both the, the mind and the body when we worship, engaging all the senses, which is why we choose to read a lot of Scripture in our services as well as sing songs that are biblically based. We pray the liturgy that's been used since, since the early church, and actually we could even go back further than that, that we even get from our, our Jewish heritage. We do not see our time of worship as sentimentality, sentimentality, sentimentality. I'll get it right. Just give me a few moments. But, but rather as a way of actively remembering who God is and what he has done and what he is doing. Now, the Greek word for this is anamnesis, remembering that re-enters the story. We've talked about that. All of our movements stir us to actively remember God in His ever-unfolding story. It is our hope that everyone who calls all saints home will be actively participating in both corporate and personal rhythms of worship. And I'd like to, to just read some things off. I'm not going to you know, give the, the other things that, that I have written here. Uh, they're in the report, and I hope that you'll read them. But here's just a few things that are important to us in our corporate and personal worship. We're united by the book of common prayer. We're devoted to Holy Scripture. We are devoted to sacramental theology. We are creedal people. We believe in the practice uh, of the daily office. The the Holy Eucharist, we sometimes call Mass, which includes the ministry of the Word and the ministry of Holy Communion. Our our Sunday sermons are online if you've missed one of the Sunday services. Lay Eucharistic visitors where we go and we uh, meet with people who are not able to come to the services for different reasons. And we bring and lead them in worship at home or in the hospital. Alameda's Belmont Rehab Hospital around the corner where we go and we lead 
reserve sacrament um, worship service. Serving in worship as altar guild and, and acolytes, lay readers and lay Eucharistic ministers and ushers and security and children's ministry and musical worship. I said I wasn't going to comment on all of these. Well, I just did a little bit. But, but all of these things are important. It's part of our worship. Daily evening prayer, evensong, Wednesday evening services. And here are some of the just, just a few things that we value in worship. We value in worship beauty. We're going to be hearing a little bit more about that a little bit later. And holy space and lifestyle of worship. And also the invitation to worship. We don't believe in manipulating people. So we're non-manipulative in our worship. We invite people to worship with us. So we, we not only worship, but we, we've, it's a priority that we lean into being a community. We are made in the image of the triune God and are therefore built for and grow best when in harmonious and integrated relationships. Now, let me be clear from the very beginning. When I am talking about community, I am not talking about a crowd. How would we go about destroying community and isolating people from one another and from a life shared with others? Over 30 years ago, Howard Snyder asked this question and offered the following strategies. He said, fragment family life, move people away from neighborhoods where they grew up, set people farther away from giving them, uh, by giving them bigger houses and yards, and separate the places people work from where they live. In other words, partition off people's lives into as many worlds as possible. Interesting. To facilitate that process, get everyone their own car, replace meaningful communication with television, and finally cut down on family size and fill people's homes with things instead. The results? A post-familiar, disconnected culture where self is king, relationships are thin, and individuals fend for themselves. On the whole, this destruction of community has only been compounded by the advance of digital technology. Now, as Sherry uh, uh, Turkles observes in her book, Alone Together, the web's promise of bottomless abundance has left, left millions inwardly and relationally famished. Although it is easier than ever to communicate and stay in touch with one another with texts, tweets, posts, pics, chats, videos, etc., we are fast losing the ability to commune with one another. Our lives lack cohesion. We live in pieces and fragments and, and lacking any overall pattern or any steady, recognizable community in which, we, which to belong. Only when the church lives out its original calling as a contrast community and the foretaste of God's coming kingdom and, and reign is there hope for the world. Christ has defeated the principalities and powers that keep people apart. In Him, relationships can be healed and transformed. The world that Christ was born into was also splintered and confused. It was violent, contentious, morally corrupt, spiritually bankrupt, full of tensions and teeming with competing interests. Yet into this world, a brand new social order erupted. It caught everyone by surprise and it, 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 and their, it caught their attention and eventually transformed the entire Roman pagan empire. So when God wants to reach a community, what does he do? He forms one first, called the church. Forming community is not just living close to one another, because prisoners do that. 
Rather, community demands personal sacrifice and personal transformation. Community as Christ intended demands a commitment to care for one another. And without simple actions of love, community is not possible. The Apostle Paul wrote in Galatians 5 verse 6, The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Words and ideas, forms and structures can take us only so far. In the end, it is a matter of whether we will lay down our lives for one another. For Christ followers, this is not just a matter of obedience, but the distinguishing mark of our witness. And I hope that you could hear that, because that's the most important thing I could say. Jesus says, a new commandment I give to you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. And by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. So we're called to community, the life that Jesus wants for his people. We do that through groups and studies. We do that through organic and intentional gathering with parishioners. And some of you take that upon yourself to invite people into your home, to build relationships, to spend time together laughing and crying and eating and watching movies and playing cards and doing things like that. That is a wonderful way to do that. I bless you. I exhort you for doing that. And I challenge those who don't to take a step in that direction. Accountability groups. Community built as we do worship, ministry, and mission together. Prayer ministry, prayer tree, pastoral care from lay people. And then also clergy. And then number three, let's talk about discipleship. Spiritual formation, catechesis. We're formed into Christ's likeness by steps, not leaps. Spiritual growth, discipleship, catechesis, maturity take place over time. And it requires intentionality. And I've said that quite a few times in this sermon already. I think I'm trying to make a point there. I think most of us know the Great Commission well. But Jesus says in Matthew, go therefore and make disciples, baptizing and teaching. Since I've been your rector, we have talked about a rule of life many times. We, did, we do this through the, the means of spiritual practices and disciplines, and the plan to do so is a rule of life. It is a call to order our entire lives in such a way that we grow in our love for God and others as ourselves. And in doing so, our lives are being transformed into being a good gift to others, a good gift to your family, a good gift to your friends, a good gift to your co-workers, a good gift to your co-students, a good gift to anywhere you go when you grocery shop or whatever you do. When we hear the words rule of life, as I often say, please don't be intimidated or put off by the word rule. The word comes from the Greek word for trellis. And as we know, a trellis is a tool that enables a grapevine to get off the ground and grow upward becoming more fruitful and productive. A rule of life, very simply, is an intentional, conscious plan to keep God at the center of everything that we do. It provides a plan and guidelines to help us continually remember God as the source of our lives. It includes spiritual practices that provide structure and direction for us to intentionally pay attention and remember God in everything that we do. The starting point and foundation of any rule is to desire to be with God, to love Him, to be transformed by Him, and to be about His purposes. After pastoring for 30 plus years, I have found that very few people have a written, conscious, intentional plan for developing their spiritual lives. 
And using the words of Bill Hall, as he often says in the context of discipleship, if you don't have a plan, you really don't plan to do it. Now, you know, as I've shared with you before, uh, multiple times I heard Bill say that, you know, inside that offended me. You know why? Because I was convicted. But it's something for us to think about. And I would say the same thing with our spiritual lives, which I would think goes right along with what Bill was teaching, is that if we don't have a plan for our spiritual development, growth, and discipleship, we really don't plan to do it. Most Christians are not intentional, but they're rather functional. So our crammed schedules and endless to-do lists and demanding jobs and families, constant noise, information bombardment, and anxieties keep us speeding up and not slowing down. I kind of feel like I'm part of that anxiety-inducing thing this morning because I feel like I'm preaching very fast because I'm trying to be mindful of time. So I hope I'm not creating anxiety by talking fast. But just, but just listen. And, and if, you lose, if you get lost, guess what? My sermon's in written form, and it's going to be in your hands in a little bit. Please read it. It goes a little bit more in-depth than what I'm even doing now. We have routines to manage other parts of our lives. What about our spiritual life? Our present spiritual practices for many of us are not enough to keep us afloat in the ocean of our 21st century world. And fighting against such a strong current without an anchor of a rule of life is impossible. And eventually we find ourselves unfocused, distracted, and adrift. Eating like a lion will not be enough as a follower of Jesus unless we want to be malnourished as his disciple. Nurturing our growing spirituality with depth in our present day culture will require a thoughtful, conscious, intentional plan for our spiritual lives. This is an intentional plan to be a disciple as well as make disciples. 1 Timothy 4 verse 7 says, train yourself for godliness. Opportunities to participate at all saints in the process of formation occurs in a number of ways. Discipleship hour is one example. Triads, home groups, Bible and special studies, book groups, groupings, children and youth ministry, leadership development, learning and practicing spiritual disciplines, creating and following a rule of life. And some of the things that we value in discipleship, let me just list a couple of them. Um, We value life-on-life discipleship. And we believe that discipleship is more than just giving information. Discipleship is formational. So that's why it's important that we do life on life. Journey. It takes time. One step after another. Hummingbird eating. And then lastly, mission. Mission in many ways is the other side of discipleship. I've heard our bishop talk about this um, numerous times and I actually agree with him. If we have a proper understanding of discipleship, well, aren't you glad I agree with the bishop? That's good news, right? Because if I didn't, that wouldn't be good news. But I really happen to really, really like how he approaches this. That's what I'm trying to say. It will always lead us to embody and demonstrate and announce the good news of the kingdom of God. So if we really talk about discipleship in the proper way, that really includes mission. The Great Commission to go and make disciples involves Christians intentionally growing and and maturing and non-Christians hearing and responding to the good news and growing and flourishing as his disciples. So we are this sent people of God to be as ambassadors and heralds and ministers of reconciliation, a city set on a hill, light and salt. 
The church is called apostolic because it holds the faith of the first apostles sent by Jesus Christ. In continuity with them, the church is likewise called by Jesus to proclaim the gospel and to make disciples throughout the whole world. Faithful presence names the reality that God is present in the world and that he uses a people faithful to his presence to make himself concrete and real amidst the world's struggles, pain, and darkness. When the church is this faithful presence, God's kingdom becomes visible and the world is invited to follow Jesus. Faithful presence is not only essential for our lives as Christians, it's how God has chosen to change the world. All right, stay with me. I'm almost done. Stay with me. Just stay with me. Stay with me. Please. This grand revolution starts with a group of people entering into God's presence. It begins as we gather in worship and it extends to every place that we live. It is one and the same life. And amazing things start to happen as we gather and then as we become present to others in our normal everyday lives. People are reconciled to God and to each other. Systems of evil are exposed and shut down. The kingdom becomes visible in our neighborhoods. The world takes notice and we invite people to join in to see it with us. Outburst of his kingdom spread and this process continues until his reign. All things are put in subjection under his feet and the new heavens and the new earth are completed. This begins with a group of people being restored to God's presence in Jesus Christ and then being faithfully present to him in the world. This faithful presence is at the heart of what it means to be the people of God. This is how God changes us and the world. So how do we do this through All Saints? We do this in a a number of ways. And, And let me just start off first and foremost that at All Saints we value evangelism and mission taking place through organic ways as the Holy Spirit touches and leads His people, lay people, and clergy, and they start being obedient to Him. That's what we bless. That's what we encouraged. Most, first and foremost, more than a program. Once in a while people say, you know, you talk about loving your neighbor. Can you give us a program? No, I'm actually not. Love your neighbor. Let's learn to love. And if we learn to love, we can love our neighbor. We don't need a program to do that. All right. I haven't offended anybody, am I? All right. Good. So, number one, one of the ways we do this is lifestyle. As we are going about our normal and everyday lives, because we are incarnational and sacramental people. And, and, and two, we, we have eyes wide open. We want to see what God is doing and we want to bless it. Hospitality. Identifying a person of peace. And if you have no clue what I'm talking about, we've talked about it numerous of times, but join a triad. We'll talk about it a little bit more. Sharing the gospel of the kingdom of God. Our work and our vocation is mission. Biblical justice. Feed the hungry and Anglicans for life. All Saints events like Living Nativity, Art Week, Good Friday 515, and we could probably list others. Serving at Alameda's Belmont Rehab Hospital. Supporting missionaries in Long Beach and beyond. Financial and prayer support for missions locally and globally. Financial support to the Greater Los Angeles Deanery for church planting initiatives. Financial giving to our diocese for mission, ministry, and church planting. 
Everything on our budget is used for a mission, including Kleenexes and toilet paper and paper and things like that, and Wi-Fi and electricity. If it's not for mission, then we have something wrong with what we're doing. Praying for more workers in the harvest field. As a summary, the first Christians devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Following this pattern, we will be transformed within the life of the church through reading scripture and receiving the sacraments, through worship and prayer, through fellowship with God's people, and by being a loving witness in the world. All saints, we celebrate where God has brought us and we stand on the shoulders of those who have preceded us. We celebrate what God is doing among us now. And we celebrate what God wants to do through this awesome church in 2020 and beyond. Forward, always forward. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit.